So hi everyone, today I'm so excited to be able to be joined by CERN, who as I'm sure many of you know is one of the world's largest and most respected centres of scientific research, probing the fundamental structures of our universe. You may also be aware that last March, myself, Jessica, who's on the webinar with me today, and our colleague Max were due to fly out to Geneva to visit CERN in person. But unfortunately, due to the pandemic, we weren't able to go. So I'm so pleased that we've been able to organise this webinar to give you a taste of life at CERN. Today, we're going to discover why CERN is a place like nowhere else on Earth and look at the incredible opportunities they offer to students and graduates each year. And remember, as always, the CERN Gradcracker Hub is full of information about some of the historic discoveries made at CERN, recent news and all the information about their roles and recruitment process. So it's a great place to go after the webinar today to recap the information that you're going to, going to hear. So heading over to our panel from CERN. Firstly, we have Priscilla, who is the, a member of the Early Careers Talent Acquisition team at CERN. And I'm going to hand over to Priscilla shortly to give you an introduction to CERN and the roles that they offer to students and graduates. But first, let's briefly meet the rest of the panel. We're also joined by Anna, who is a Mechanical Engineering Fellow. Now at CERN, their graduate schemes are called fellowships. And I'm sure Priscilla is gonna tell us a bit more about this shortly. We're also joined by Roland, who is an electrical engineering fellow and Hiral, who is a technical student or a year long placement as we would know them. Again, at CERN, these longer term placements are known as technical studentships. Anna, Roland and Hiral are going to give us an insight into what life is like at CERN as students and graduates what the application process looks like and what relocating to a brand new country to take part in the world's biggest scientific experiment really feels like. And last, but by no means least, we are joined by Raymond Vaness, who is currently the section leader for Beam Instrumentation Mechanics at CERN and has been working on the Large Hadron Collider since 1995. Ray was also part of the team that discovered the Higgs boson. So we are very lucky to be joined by Ray today and we're going to be finding out more about his journey a little bit later on. So we've got loads to get through today, so we're going to get started. Priscilla, um, can you start by just telling us who is CERN? Okay, sure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the introduction. Hello, everyone. So who is CERN? I'm going to briefly talk first about the history of CERN. Mm -hmm. And everything started just a few years after the Second World War, when a few a uh, visionary North American European scientist identified the need for Europe to have a world-class physics research facility that would not only unite European uh, scientists, but also allow them to share the increasing costs of nuclear, nuclear physics facilities. So at an intergovernmental uh, meeting uh, at UNESCO, uh, of UNESCO in Paris in 1951, the first decision concerning the establishment of an European Council for Nuclear Research was adopted. Mm -hmm. And a couple of months later, uh, 11 countries signed an agreement establishing the Provisional uh, Council. And that's when and where the acronym CERN was born. Great. And um, so what we do at CERN, <laughs> our, main focus, <laughs> our main focus is particle physics. We study the fundamental structure of the particles that make up everything around us. And we do so by working with one of the largest and most complex scientific instruments. Hence my background photo here. <laughs> um, and at CERN, so, so subatomic 
particles are made to collide at very close to the speed of light. And this, 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 this collisions and these studies and the process gives the, our scientists uh, clues about how, how the particles interact and also provides insights uh, into the fundamentals laws of nature. But the physics program at CERN, at the laboratory, it's much broader Mm -hmm. And it ranges from nuclear to high energy physics, from studies about antimatter to the possible uh, effects of cosmic, cosmic rays on clouds. Wow. And beyond all that, CERN is more than physics because to perform such physics in such a scale, um, we need expert engineers, technicians and support administrative staff from many disciplines to provide the infrastructure that the physicists need to conduct their research. So there are opportunities for a pro for, our, for our students at all uh, sorts of uh, fields of study. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna talk a bit, uh, Sophie, about the purpose of CERN. Mm -hmm. So our purpose is beautiful because the science for peace is pure scientific and fundamental uh, fundament nature. And CERN is first and foremost uh, a research laboratory for fundamental physics. However, we also have the responsibility to train the next physicists, the next scientists, the next technicians, the next administrative staff, so the next professionals, to bring nations together and to transfer all our technologies and, and knowledge acquired and expertise to society. Amazing. Thank you so much, Priscilla. That was a really great um, introduction to CERN. And um, we're going to go on to hear from the graduates um, and, and Ray about you know, some of the actual work that, that they are doing at CERN right now. Um, but before we kind of move on, um, can you kind of give a brief overview, Priscilla, of the type of roles that you have on offer at CERN for students and graduates? Sure. So there are many, <laughs> plenty. We have 20 different student and graduates programs at CERN, different programs. And it really ranges in, in a wide range of STEM fields and administrative disciplines. And from students from high school up to postdoc. So first of all, you can check the CERN's hub on the grad, on the grad cracker page. And, but in a nutshell, but again, bear in mind, we have 20 different programs. If you are here today and you are studying at the STEM discipline, so if you're studying uh, physics, engineering, or uh, computing, and you are actually uh, pursuing a bachelor or a master degree, and you'd like practical, uh, practical training period or a place where you can uh, progress your thesis, CERN can be the place for you. And you, then you would be interested to, to know our tech, uh, technician, uh, technical studentship program. And you can stay at CERN from four up to 12 months. The specifications, of course, please check our hub on the GradCracker website. But suppose you are actually graduated, you already have a bachelor uh, and you do not want to pursue a master's degree now or you already have a master as well and you want to embark on your first professional journey, then yes, uh, as Sophie mentioned before, we have the fellowship program. So one option for you to explore it's the junior fellowship uh, program at CERN where you can stay with us up to three years. Suppose you're not from a STEM degree, you're not a STEM person, but you're studying uh, law or you're studying business administration and you love, but you love science, you love CERN, you can join us whilst you're a student as well uh, under our administrative studentship program. 
-hmm. Or even if you already graduated uh, and you have a master or bachelor, you can join us uh, as a junior fellowship because it's also in a wide range of, uh, of, of roles, including administrative. So this is a nutshell, so check our hub. Uh, Sophie, should I give the link? It's www.dots. No, yeah. it's okay. We, we, um, when everything finishes today, um, this will be going live onto the company hub. But yeah, okay. um, and you can find the CERN hub through our employer A to Z, which is on the top menu of Gradcracker. So that's a really easy way to find the CERN Gradcracker hub. Um, and just to kind of follow on from what Priscilla was saying, now all these vacancies are currently open to applications on, on the Gradcracker Hub. So everything is live right now. Um, so make sure after today you do go and get your applications in. Um, I think kind of what you were saying there, Priscilla, kind of leads me on to some um, misconceptions that people might have about CERN. Um, I know one of mine before I started working with you guys um, around three or four years ago um, was that CERN really was very focused on recruiting physicists and that was the main focus of recruitment for you guys. But as you said, you know, you're open to all kind of STEM disciplines and you have um, programmes that are kind of focused in all different areas. Um, are there any other misconceptions that you think people might have about CERN? Well, I certainly had myself when I joined is that or before I applied is that CERN is elitist and it is uh, a common misconception. So it's not just me. I know that more people also think the same, a lot of candidates. And I'd like to first point it out that still in 2021, is this for, for someone to have access to university, to attain education level, uh, education level, is it still a privilege in our society? And depending on which country you were born and your upbringing, your background, uh, that's a fact. And if you manage, despite the life adversities, to, to pursue a bachelor degree or above, uh, you are a hero of your own. However, we do not hire just people with this sort of degrees. <laughs> we do not hire just doctoral uh, students, PhD uh, degree holders. We do hire even what we, in the UK will be uh, equivalent to a technical degree that meant, and I mean by that, the BTEC degree, the NVQ, um, high national diploma so no matter your level of qualification we have a program for you here and if you maybe you already have experience so you can join us in a as a professional as a staff or if you're a student and you are just graduating from different sort of levels of degree you also have an opportunity so we really to reduce this misconception of being elitists that we just hire PhD students uh, and also, like, we really would like to, to boost diversity at CERN even more. So no matter your personality, no matter your level of education, no matter where you come from, uh, we, we are open to, to, to receive you here, to welcome you, and so you can add to our organization. Great. Thank you, Priscilla. Yeah, I think that's um, a great thing to highlight. And um, I think it probably is a misconception that I had before as well, that, you know, you you only you do only recruit physicists, PhDs. Um, and actually, you know, after getting to know you guys over the last few years, you know, it couldn't be more from the truth. And you are so open um, and want to get the, these messages out to everybody as well. So it's great that we can do that today. Okay, final question for you, Priscilla, before I move on to meet everybody else, um, as it's a subject that I think that some of the grads uh, might be and in, in, interns and students watching might be worried about is Brexit and how this will affect CERN. So in terms of the application for, for British citizens to apply, there's no impact. The UK's participation in CERN's activities 
uh, its independence to its belonging to the EU. So no impact in this matter. Um, and I'm very much hope that uh, you guys, interested people that are watching us today, students, that you check all our opportunities and, and apply because it does not, uh, Brexit won't impact. So it's regardless of the UK withdrawal from the EU. And also mentioning, uh, it's important to mention that CERN has an obligation to ensure that uh, all our members of personnel and their families have the right to reside in our host states, France and Switzerland, uh, whether, whether they are a citizen of the EU or not. Okay, great, thank you. Okay, so I'm now gonna head over to meet the grads. We'll be coming back to Priscilla at the end of the webinar just to kind of hear some more fine details about the application process and things. Um, but I just wanna kind of introduce all of our graduates and students. So Anna, starting with you, um, can you tell our audience which university you studied at and what you studied and what your current role at CERN is? Yeah, so I am a mechanical engineer. Um, I did my bachelor's degree at the University of Bath followed by a master's in science in advanced mechanical engineering um, at Imperial College London. Um, it was very common in, in Bath. I think 80% of students on my course took a year out um, to do a year long placement. So I did that. I also had some preconceptions uh, about CERN and thought that they only hired uh, physicists <laughs> and found out that there were some students a grade above me, a year above me, who were at CERN. Um, so I got in touch with them. They told me wonderful things uh, about CERN. I tried my luck, uh, got, got a place as a technical student. Um, so that was between my second and third year at, at Bath. Um, I then returned to university. And once I graduated, I applied um, for two graduate schemes, uh, the fellow one and then a, a, like a separate one. Um, in that case, I did not get a fellowship, but I got the, the other graduate scheme. Mm -hmm. um, that was a two-year contract, and I've just now uh, finished my first year as a fellow. Fantastic. Thank you, Anna. Um, Roland, over to you. Where did you go to uni? What did you study? And what are you doing at CERN now? Uh, hi. I went to the University of Plymouth, and I did an integrated master's in electrical and electronic engineering. So that was the bachelor's and the master's combined into one degree. Uh, unlike Anna, I did not do a year out. I did the whole thing in one go. And then I did a graduate scheme in the UK for two and a half years at a, at a company in Oxfordshire, in fact, another particle accelerator. But while I was there, after about 18 months, I had the opportunity to come to CERN for about three months to do the equivalent of a sort of summer student role, that kind of, that kind of uh, time duration. And it was whilst I was here, I learned actually, yeah, this is the place I want to be. So I went back to the UK, did one more year at SDFC, waited for the new fellowships uh, application rounds to open. Once I did, I applied and I was lucky enough to, to be accepted for the junior fellow. So uh, uh, here in my day-to-day -day role, I'm an electronic engineer and I'm working in uh, machine safety. So I'm designing sort of safety systems for the LHC, essentially. Great stuff. Thank you, Roland. I'm sure we're going to hear about um, more of that later on. And um, finally, Hero, what um, did you study and where did you study and what are you doing at CERN now? Oh, hello, everybody. Uh, I have 
bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from uh, Sardar Patel College of Engineering, which is in Mumbai, India, where I come from. Uh, I came to Europe to pursue my master's degree in space science and technology. I came to Sweden and within the Erasmus exchange program, I exchanged the second year for um, a master's degree in France, in Toulouse. And my specialization was in space instruments and technology. So my journey with CERN essentially began in the first year of my master's. And I say that because I started applying since then. I tried to apply thrice for the technical student program and I got in only the third time. And uh, it's been a long journey from the first application to the third <laughs> one because I saw myself evolve. And I can relate with the audience at, at a greater extent in that sense, not only as a panelist, as a technical student, but also as a job seeker now. Yeah. So um, uh, currently, as a technical student, I'm uh, in the domain of mechanical engineering in the beams instrumentation department in the same section as Anna and Ray. And uh, I see my roles as more in the mechanical design engineering part of it. So working on projects with my supervisor on uh, designing of calibration test bench and test benches and other kinds of uh, auxiliary equipment that you need for the main instrumentation. Mm -hmm. and, um, I would like to add here that I feel that the technical student program is really interesting because not only does it give you an insight into the professional scheme of how people at CERN really work, but it yeah. gives room for error where you can actually learn as a student also the yeah. summer in between it's uh, it's a transition between being a student and actually seeing how the pro professional environment really looks like yeah so, right that's no, that sounds fantastic thanks here and i know jess is going to come back to you um, in a few minutes to, to find out even more about your experiences and in, in, in what you've done so far um now ray coming to you so after completing a PhD in solid mechanics at the University of Leicester, you worked for the Atomic Energy Authority in the UK before joining CERN in 1992. So you've been working on the LHC ever since. Mm. Um, can you explain to the audience what the Beam Instrumentation Group does and your role within this section? And LHC. LHC, yeah. Uh, yes, start there yes, as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, explain what the LHC does, wow. <laughs> Yeah, just in a couple of words. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, every 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 field has its has its jargon, and and CERN's no uh, no different, you know. So, beam instrumentation here, you can think of it really as the as the eyes and the ears of a particle accelerator. So, so basically, everything that happens with with the beams, you need some way to know what's going on. You need to make sure that they're going round the accelerator. You need to make sure that they're they're stable, that the, you, know, you know how many particles you've got and what they're doing and where they're going, you know. And of course, this stuff is pretty, pretty, pretty sort of specialized because the, you know, the, the particle accelerators, you can't really sort of look at them with your, with your own eyes. There, there are exceptions to that, you know. So, um, so what we do in our group is that we, we do all of this for all of the accelerators at CERN, and they're actually nine accelerators at CERN of which the LHC is only is only one um, and that means we've got like about 5,000 instruments that we're operating around all of the CERN accelerator complex 
Uh, and these are constantly monitoring and checking and being used for improvement and for safety. Particularly, for example, if you look at the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, you know, this is the most powerful machine uh, in the world, uh, most powerful accelerator that's ever been built. Now, it's kind of safely 100 meters under the ground under our feet, so there's no risk to people. But if, if you lose the beams, they have a kind of the stored energy, really, of, a, of an aeroplane in flight. So, so if they go crashing through the rest of the accelerator, they can cause huge damage. Yeah. So we in the beam instrumentation group, we provide all the, all the instrumentation to make sure that these things are safe and that they're working well. Mm -hmm. so, so this is very broad. You know, we have, we have physicists, accelerator physicists. We have engineers like myself. I'm a mechanical engineer. We have you know, technicians, mechanics who actually machine things, you know, and people are working on IT. We have software that we write for, the, for this stuff. Electronics, you can imagine a lot of you know, fast electronics and data acquisition. Uh, and then our team, my team, the mechanics team, we actually build all the hardware. We build the stuff you can actually kind of hold in your hands and put inside the, um, the accelerator. And there, there are again, you know, quite a number of specialized bits of engineering that go on in, in there. Um, so come to your question of, of the LHC. By the way, before I say that, I just want to say, you know, CERN is, is a physics lab, but I like to call it an engineering lab that does physics. <laughs> um, because in fact, CERN, most of the, most of the people that CERN, CERN employ are not really physicists, you know, they're not theoretical physicists or, or even experimental physicists. Most of them are accelerator physicists or they're engineers or they're technicians. Because what we do here at CERN really is we build all this stuff, you know, we design it, we build it, we operate it, we keep it working. And then the physicists, most of the physicists, they work for, for universities, they work for institutes, you know, for labs in our home countries. And a lot of them never even actually set their foot here at CERN. Because uh, then we send all the data off to them yeah. around the World Wide Web, which, of course, you know, we we built for exactly doing that, you know. Um, so so that's why I think if you if you say, oh, well, CERN, you know, is all physicists, it's actually completely wrong. Uh, and uh, and it's a, an image that we struggle somehow to 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 get away from. You know, mm -hmm. most of the people we want here are, are applied scientists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that. Uh, Enough. That's perfect. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks. I Rick. feel like I hang on every word Ray says. I'm like, I know I do too. I'm like <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. Um, that's a really good overview of what you guys do, and, and you know, just a bit more information about CERN as well. So I am going to hand over to Jess now to take the reins for a bit. Thank um, you, Seb. Yeah, I'll come back at the end. Okay, cool. I can't believe the time already. So, um, yeah, what I want to do first is kind of kind of give the students that are listening now a bit of an insight into um, the recruitment process. Um, and if you guys can share any hints and tips on that, that'd be great. So Roland, if you can kind of tell me a bit about kind of like the process and how you found it. Right, so when I was here the first time in 2018 during those three months, I was lucky enough to meet some people at the facility. So when it came to applying for the fellowship position several months later, I already knew some people. <laughs> now, this didn't necessarily help the application process. As far as I know, the application process is universal for everybody. You will go through yeah. the same sort of uh, processes once you fill in the paperwork and submit it to CERN. 
It was only when it came to uh, later on down the line when the uh, section leaders from around CERN began to have a look at uh, engineers who they wanted to, to apply into their group that uh, some of these people that I had met uh, recognized this, this application and go, oh, I know that guy, I met him a few months ago. So mm. that was very advantageous. But uh, the rest, the, the actual recruitment process itself, um, be patient. That's probably my biggest word of, of advice. From applying to signing the contract was six months, and there was a it was a long anxious wait. But don't worry, they will definitely get back to you. I don't know if there has ever been a case where people have not been gone back to. They will answer you back, even yeah. if uh, even if it feels like hang on, have you forgotten about me? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, just uh, be patient, and uh, yeah, it'll all come true. Brilliant. That's a really good point. So you will definitely hear from Priscilla no matter what. And <laughs> um, Anna, how about you next? Have um, you got anything to add to that? Um, I would say, especially, you know, when you're a student, maybe yeah, you're doing a year long placement and uh, you have no previous experience, you know, um, university projects are a great way to to learn and develop skills so just make sure that you explain what projects you've been involved in at yeah. university um try to just be yeah clear and concise and uh just give examples of, of things you've done you know not not everyone can find a, a summer internship uh during their first few mm. years of uni so it's totally normal to apply without any experience just uh yeah describe what you've done what you enjoy doing Again, you know what I'm all going to say, everyone, you know, society is a great thing as well. If you're involved in a society, it's nothing to mention on your, you know, your application, things outside that you've done outside the curriculum, which is good. Did you mention anything else like that, Anna? You know, was you part of a STEM society or anything when you were at Bath or Imperial? Um, I was not in my first two years I only when I then went back I was part of formula student oh brilliant that was sort of reserved for like third and fourth year students yeah yeah. but actually now they're a lot more open to getting Mm. more people on board so even from first and second uh year I know that that you can now do that perfect there you are so anyone listening remember to join a STEM society if you can um Hiral you if you can kind of tell us a bit about your kind of process I know you've obviously you're saying just before this call you've just finished uh, the placement the, but what was the recruitment process was it is it slightly different for, for a graduate or do you know I if it's think so because how I saw myself I was totally clueless the first time I did not know anybody I did not know too much about the process I did not attend the seminar like this to understand what CERN wants from its uh, recruit recruiters and yeah. from people who are applying to it so for me I was totally clueless and I did the first one I spent three days I was very meticulous with it and when I got back and when I didn't get a positive response I was really bummed and very angry but eventually after the next application I did a few projects I became more active with the idea of doing the project so and since I did it once already I saw what the application form looks like yeah what they were exactly looking for and I tried to be as concise as I went forward yeah I feel that it's a very straightforward process it it is a standard recruitment platform and the only thing that can go wrong is the stress coming from the applicant if you're not having your documents ready in time Mm -hmm. or uh, your letters of recommendation or your own cv and you're keeping it till the last moment that can become a bit stressful but the platform do anything to make it stressful for the recruiter for the person applying 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. You've all had a quite a similar experience in terms of, you know, applying and being rejected, but then, you know, reapplying again, you know, whether it be for sin or other places. And I think that's something to bear in mind, especially to the audience. You know, sometimes you're not going to land it first time. And sometimes it takes that to pick yourself back up and think, I'm going to try again. And actually, it's a benefit in the long run, because then you now know what the process was like and maybe, you know, learn, you know, what to put in the application. So what's the saying? First time you don't succeed. Okay, so going about the journey then to Sin. So, Roland, if you could kind of um, talk to us a bit about the the kind of the journey, how you obviously said you're at STFC and then the, the kind of process from there to, to Sin. You actually found your role as well on Gradcracker, I heard you mention. Well, yes, I did. <laughs> so, uh, uh, when I applied to uh, STFC, I used Gradcracker. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't use Gradcracker to go to CERN. But, um, but uh, when I applied to SFC, I did use Crowdcracker. Yeah. I also used it for when I applied to BAE Systems, and I think Augusta Westland as well. Oh. But, uh, Name drop yeah. there, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i got to say, it made the whole process a lot easier. But uh, when you go onto the site of, of the company, uh, with whom you want to apply, there's like, uh, what do I go to careers, I guess, uh, what now? Crowdcracker is just like, bish, bash, bosh, this tells you where you need to go and what you need to do. New so strap line, bish, bash, cool. bosh. There you are. <laughs> Job done. That's good. That's great. Um, so, Anna, moving on to you, um, if you want to kind of mention as well, you know, your kind of process from the technical studentship and then on to how you were fast-tracked for the grad scheme. Yeah. So there is no fast-track uh, per se. I mean, okay. if you come here as a technical student, you know, you're out on your own, like in the wild, like anyone else. So, in fact, I applied for the fellowship once I graduated from Imperial and I did not get it. I, I did get another contract, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'd been here before and I didn't get this, you know, the flagship uh, fellowship that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no fast track per se. You know, you have the same opportunities, whether you've been here as a technical student or not. Mm-hmm. Of course, it does help in that you, you know, uh, know that there are no preconceptions or those preconceptions have been cleared. I knew I could apply as a fellow. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd never had a webinar like, like this one. So actually it, it helped that I'd been a technical student to know a few of the things that you're now learning here today. Um, I knew a bit, you know, the, the place I knew some people, um, but I had to go through the same process as everyone else. Um, So the program that I ended up coming on is called a a VIA program. Um, I think it's also open for for UK nationals. Uh, Maybe Priscilla can confirm. And it's a sort of a a one plus one. So up to two years uh, also for recent graduates. Um, And then when that finished or while I was finishing that, I applied to the fellowship. Yeah. Um, And this time was successful. so, so tell me a bit about, about the fellowship and what that involves. Um, so I work uh, with Ray and with Hiral in, in beam instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of my work as a fellow is sort of to, to be involved in the whole um, life cycle of the instruments that we build, right? So as a fellow, you usually have like a project that is given to you and that you have to to carry out. So in this case, I'm I'm now... Uh, a fellow for the high luminosity LHC, which is sort of the upgrade of the LHC in the next few years. Yeah. So I have to 
look at uh, conceptual designs, uh, carry out simulations, carry out 3D designs, uh, you know, prototypes of what we're going to build, you know, three, four years from now. Um, So I have already done one year of the fellowship. I have two years uh, left or year and a half now. Um, so in that time, yeah, I start from from this project that I was given, I do some conceptual design, some calculations, simulations, uh, figuring out if things are going to work. I then work on the 3, 3D design, manufacturing drawings, and then eventually, uh, by the end, you know, if you're here for the three years, a lot of times you get to see the result of this project that you were given at the start. Yeah. That must be. Whoa! I feel like I've got so many questions to ask. You know, when you when you finish, then your three years. Yeah. This is a question I'm going to probably come to in the end. But do you think you'll stay at Sen? Because I would feel like you, you were designing, you were kind of getting involved in all this exciting stuff. Yeah. I don't know what the outcome is. Yeah. So I'm, I I hope to have finished my you know my project before that. Yeah. Uh, so that I can definitely see it. Um, so after the three years as a fellow, I've sort of the only other contract that you well not the only one but the the next contract would be like a a staff contract right okay um and those are really hard to get you know so i it's it's like not only are you good enough but like the people that you're competing against are really good the number of places are really limited um so even while you're a fellow you're usually encouraged to you know be on the lookout for staff positions that open Um, it's very difficult also for a staff position to open like in the team that you're in in another team where you might know someone so you always have to sort of be on the lookout and 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 see if anything pops up because the the opportunities are there but they're limited Um, so I just try to keep my eyes open and yeah 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 eye on the ball kind of time will tell yeah definitely Roland what about you and obviously um, Anna mentioned a bit about you know your involvement but Tell me a bit more about what, what you've been doing on the fellowship. Uh, okay, so I'm designing uh, these things called interlocks. So interlocks are essentially safety systems. You have a number of inputs and then the output state is determined by the states of the input. So say you have 20 inputs, if any one of them is false, then the output will be false. All 20 of them have to be true for the output to be true. So we take these um, safety sort of like uh, called uh, permitted signals from uh, users around uh, facilities, around the accelerators. So take the LHC, for example, we'll take the, it'll take uh, these um, safety signals from beam instrumentation or electrical power converters, uh, quench protection systems, all these things. And if any one of them gives a false reading, then our equipment will detect it and then try and safely uh, so-called dump the beam from the LHC. So it removes the beam from the accelerator so that we don't run into this problem where Ray was talking about earlier of this this uh, 747 load of beam uh, crashing into the side no, of the internet and damaging lots of expensive things. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, my job to to design that system. So there was a system designed in 2006, but mm-hmm. as the electronics were well, from 2006, a lot of it is now quite obsolete. So I'm doing a brand new redesign of that system uh, so we're taking the lesson that's learned from the first system, but then incorporating it with new electronics. And the real benefit is that because the section that I'm working in is quite small, I have a lot of creative freedom to experiment, lots of different technologies and options. 
So I'm really hands-on and involved in the whole life cycle, life cycle and the development. Yeah. So uh, I've been here for one and a half years. I actually managed to get an extension onto my contract, which is very nice. So that's uh, six months additional. So I will be here for two and a half, yeah, two and a half years in total. And that uh, runs until November. I might have, have to, a, sorry, but do you have to apply for that then? Or you know, how, would you, how did you get that addition, like that extra six months? Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't so much of an application per se as the initial application to the fellowship scheme. It's talking to your supervisor and your section leader and your group leader and making the case for it. And so, right. so long as the budget is there and so long as there's reasonable justification to stay on for these additional six months, Mm-hmm. then it, it entirely depends on the project and the budget, um, I'm afraid to say. There's no be all end all way of yes, you will definitely get accepted or no, you definitely won't be. It's dependent on the situation. So luckily, uh, the justification was, was good enough for me to uh, get my extension. So there could be the possibility that I might be able to get a second extension of six months, which would take mm-hmm. me up to halfway of 2022. But um, I'll apply for that when the time comes and see what happens next. Fingers crossed. Yes, yes very much so. Brilliant. Then, sorry, after that, then, yep, yep. Um, uh, well, there might be, might be a possibility of applying for a staff position for Tanis. As I said, they're very, very hard to come by. Mm-hmm. I guess the point where anybody at CERN will see that a staff position has become available and just apply for it. So mm-hmm. you're going up against hundreds of people with with at least people, one PhD, <laughs> incredibly intelligent people, so it makes it uh, slightly daunting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to see, uh, see what comes up and hope I'm lucky. Brilliant. Fingers crossed. Yes. I'll give you some of my luck. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, it sounds like even when you're, when you're on the fellowship, I mean, it's very competitive. You know, you've got to kind of keep your eye in focus. You've got to, you know, be almost putting yourself out there as well. You almost can't relax. You want to keep on top of the games, which is, is, is interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so, um, Hiral, come to you just quickly about your, your technical studentship. Um, what was you know, what was kind of the most challenging part of that experience and what was the best bit um, of the experience? Now you've kind of come to the end of it. Um, uh, I think uh, I started my contract last year in March and two weeks I was on site and that was the best part because as you come to CERN, you come with such excitable energy. You want to take pictures of everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know that picture of Priscilla there with the beam behind it? That's exactly what I wanted. I wanted that that picture. go through so many safety courses so the first day that I was told by my colleague that this is the list of courses mm-hmm. I would I want them all today because tomorrow I want I have to go to the LHC so I b- might as well be prepared today <laughs> I was very very excited and I, I managed to do all the preliminary courses and everything and then came the pandemic we went into the lockdown mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. kind of changed but through that period, my picture taking abilities really helped me because I was writing my thesis the first six months and I had all those pictures for reference. Oh, brilliant. The way, oh gosh. Are you back? You're here, you're here, I can hear you're you. You're back, yeah. Sorry about that. It happened no, on- don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so uh, since I was doing my master thesis the first six months, I, uh, I was given one topic to concentrate on, which was mm-hmm. the rest bench for the beam position monitors, which essentially tell you in the LHC where the beam is going to be placed spatially. And 
that was my main topic but at the same time i was introduced to a bigger collaboration where i could understand how it works and given you know some small things to work on even in that collaboration and it was very clear that after my thesis i had the freedom to go around and since my section is very versatile the beam the beam instrumentations mechanical logistics department being so versatile in the projects that they handle i went around to everybody asking them is there something i could work on you know maybe because my projects are done and I'm, i just want to know a bit more so it was very dynamic in that sense yeah so, apart from the lockdown period it it has been very exciting for me Yeah. Oh, brilliant. And that's, you know, credit to CERN as well that they can offer you, you know, even in the midst of a pandemic, such a fantastic experience, which is brilliant. Um, next, I'm going to kind of ask you all, but I'm dying to hear from Ray um, about the Higgs boson. Because <laughs> the question is, um, the kind of career highlights or a project you've worked on um, so far. And yeah, Ray. Tell me everything. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, okay, I, sh I should be cautious here, you know. Uh, it's great. It's great to say in a party, oh, yeah, you know, I discovered the Higgs boson. You know. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, uh, and I can, you know, I can put my claim to it. I was just dug it out. You know, this is like the, 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 the technical paper, you know, that for Atlas and CMS that said this is the Higgs boson, you know. Wow. And if you look in there, My name is in there. Is it? It's official. Is it? <laughs> so, so when I say I discovered the Higgs boson, you know, there was me and, and like a couple of thousand other people, you know. But, but even so, uh, even so, you know, uh, it, what I really loved about it was that, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. And, and, and the fact is that if you really ask me, you know, in detail, exactly Higgs mechanisms and, you know, why it's the probabilistic, you know, discovery and all this sort of stuff, I wouldn't be able to answer because it's not my field, you know. Mm. But what I did do is I built some of the hardware. I was responsible for some of the hardware that made it possible. Mm -hmm. and, and, and CERN is kind of like that, you know. As I said, it takes all sorts. Um, and, and I think because of that, I got my name on, on that paper. And I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. And that, I will be for the rest fair. of my days. I, yeah. I, you know, um, so What is just to anyone that is listening, um, and again, if you can do this briefly, Ray, in any way possible, what is the Higgs person? <laughs> um, so, uh, um, okay, I should be extremely cautious because people will, uh, will, will always shoot down for this and stuff. I mean, basically, you know, there are a number of building blocks of the universe uh, that were predicted by what they call the standard model of physics, you know, mm -hmm. and some of them we, we know, you know, some of them are quite obvious, you know, or relatively obvious, you could say like, you know, electrons, you know, that, that we see in photons, uh, light, you know, some of these are fundamental particles. A lot of the things we see are kind of uh, composite particles made up of other things sort of bonded together, you know, um, But one of the building blocks that was predicted and was necessary for the whole thing to work was, was the thing that basically gave some particles mass. So, you know, to weigh something and other particles not to have mass. Like photons light, it doesn't weigh anything, it weighs zero. Mm -hmm. And always one of my favorite, you know, I, I do some stuff with sort of junior school kids is trying to get them to weigh light, you know, and, and light doesn't weigh anything, you know. Um, but other things, you know, other things do weigh. And it sounds bizarre, but until this Higgs boson was found, 
you didn't really at the fundamental level you couldn't say why some things weighed and other things didn't weigh you could mm -hmm. say you know um, and so it's really really basic you know and stuff that you could point your finger at and go we don't understand that we just don't know yeah um, so it was really essential for understanding just the way the universe is put together mm -hmm. but then of course you know um, the way these particles work is it's not you can't just sort of tick it off and say yeah it's there it's now there there are a lot of things about exactly what it does and how it interacts with other particles that then start to affect how the universe is put together you know how stars behave and how galaxies move around each other all this stuff you can imagine once you start talking about mass and mm. you know how how these these huge massive things actually behave uh, and predicting how they would behave yeah is is kind of you know it was a was a block to a lot of things that was going on in physics so there you go that's my engineers <laughs> What was it like when it happened and you, was it, because, yeah, how did it, how did it happen? How did you realise you'd found it? Well, you know, I mean, being on the inside at CERN, there were, there were rumours going around for a while. Okay. And, and the thing was that they'd found something interesting and it seemed to fit, you know, and I knew quite a lot of the experimental physicists who were doing this sort of stuff, you know, and, and then they knew kind of, then basically it's not just you don't find one and you sort of hold it in your hand you know you have to find a number of them and they all have to fit statistically you know that they're, they're, they're all there you know and of course the good thing about CERN is that we had different experiments completely different different groups of people that didn't talk to each other that were trying to do the same thing and of course this is good science you know if you get two people differently do the same experiment and they get the same result then you believe it, you know, whereas it's very easy for one person to make a mistake. So there were different groups working on it, you know, and so on. And in fact, there was kind of an announcement and they were keeping it really hush. And I was in Durham at the time and I was giving a talk, at a, a, a giving a sort of outreach thing at a, a school in Durham. Uh, and that very day, uh, they had this announcement, you know, and there was a big presentation and the, and the heads of these two experiments both stood up and they gave their data and said, look, you know, our data matches and mm. we've got enough, you know, whatever. And so, of course, in, in the school, they asked me, well, look, you know, you're here. Can you this evening give a talk to the parents about what this means? You know, and I was going, oh. <laughs> so I had to kind of invent a talk. I went through the slides that they showed at, uh, at these, these things and, you know, and gave a talk to the parents on the day Wow. that they announced the Higgs boson discovery. Yeah. Anyway. There was no champagne popping then, that's why I expected. <laughs> yeah, I was, unfortunately, I was too far away. I was yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Steph, did I interrupt you then? No, I was just saying that I remember watching it on, on the TV when it when yeah. it was announced. I mean, I was none the wiser as to what it meant, but I remember mm. it being very exciting. Yeah. Um, and I imagine, you know, as a, as a student and grad watching that as well, at, at that time must have been fascinating. And yeah, and obviously if you've been involved in it, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> in my life, it was my professional life for you know whatever 15, 15 years. You know that's that's what I'd done mm. uh, pretty much every day. You know, uh, so it was big, you know, really big. For yeah. Me. yeah, massive. Um, so I'm going to say something, and I'm going to say it wrong. So the new hydron collider that you're building, the name of it, as 
upgrade. Well, we're doing we're doing high lumi upgrades, which is what Anna was talking about. High luminosity LEDs. High luminosity. That's the word yeah. I'm thinking of. So, what are you looking to achieve with that? Uh, well, um, so so I mean, the LHC is this is this super tool. There's only one in the world, you know. Um, and we've been we've been running it for, and, and you can imagine. There's a huge amount of infrastructure in there. Firstly, there's this 27-kilometer-long long tunnel, you know, uh, with with all these superconducting magnets like behind Priscilla in in there, you know, and um, uh, we've been running it now for for what you know, uh, what ten years, pretty pretty much, you know, uh, and we found the Higgs boson, which was what it was first really intended for, um, but now it's sort of it, it's tailing off. They're they're getting uh, as much of the data out of it that they were sort of expecting to have done but you've got this huge you know wonderful machine that was already designed to be upgraded uh, a number of times and so this is now what we're kind of in the middle of now we're just restarting it having upgraded a lot of the sort of stuff behind it uh, and now we're working for the next uh, three or four years for us building new things to actually upgrade the LHC and this will make it you know, significantly more uh, efficient at making particles. It doesn't go up in energy, uh, but there'll be a load more particles and a load more collisions. And then at the same time, the experiments are, um, are uh, upgrading their detectors so that they can find new things uh, and to look at, you know, new ways of finding new things. Um, so, uh, you know, we've got quite an exciting time and there's lots of, lots of it is going to have to be basically, you know, taken out and redesigned and rebuilt. Uh, and then in kind of 2024, 2025, we'll have another shutdown and we'll start again. And in 2026, seven, we'll restart with a kind of uh, super upgraded uh, large Hadron Collider. Uh, and there are all sorts of things that you could find out but of course, you know, that's the fun thing about being on the edge of, 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 of sort of science. Yeah, we're a, a discovery machine, they call the LHC. You know, you never know exactly what you're going to find, really. You know, you just so start to do there and see what gets what found. And there's things like, for example, um, dark matter and dark energy. And you probably read these if you find, um, uh, you know, science magazines. You know, there's like a large part of the universe that we don't know what it is. We can't find it. Mm. And it's probably particles that just don't really interact very much with each other. Um, and they're hard to find. You know, you don't see them. They might be here. They might be going through us all the time. But because they don't interact with you, you don't see them. These are the kind of things that maybe when you get up to these energies, you, you can find things, you can find traces. And these would help, again, to explain why galaxies particularly move around and why uh, what's going on around us and, and they can even be useful you know uh, for, for, for things and of course typically you know what happens in our field is that we discover things and they go yeah that's very interesting and then kind of a few years later suddenly they realize that actually it's extremely useful and it changes the whole technology you know which is the way it's done with electronics, for example, the sort of quantum theory has completely changed electronics and, you know, um, changes the way we live. But uh, until you have these building blocks, you can't start to, 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 to make these changes. 
it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And you guys must be so proud when you go to bed in the night and you think that that's what you guys do every day. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's really I mean, what, you know, because um, what I found when I first came to CERN, you know, I looked at, I was an engineer, you know, I looked at what we had to do to build the LHC. And there were so many things that we didn't know how to do, basically, mm. you know. And you look at them and you go, we'll never get that to work. That'll never work, you know. <laughs> um, honestly, you know, I, I was rather sceptical when I first came out. I thought, well, okay, you know, they're paying my wages, you know. But, um, but then you just start, you just start. And if you've got the right people uh, and, and the right atmosphere and, and, and obviously you need the money as well, you know, mm then you can, you can just do anything. It's incredible, you know, uh, uh, unless someone can prove to you that it's not physically possible to do, uh, then you, you can do it. You just have to start and then sooner or later you get there. And this is, for me, this is the spirit of CERN. You know, you, you have these unbelievably challenging problems, but, you know, it's like they say, you put your trousers on one leg at a time. You just start at the beginning and then, sooner or later you get there and it's incredible and it, it really does work and it's lovely to be involved in it it really is yeah yeah it's amazing i must say i feel all inspired <laughs> our audience do as well i know oh, i'm like where do i apply oh no they wouldn't have me with my gcse science <laughs> Um, so I feel as though I've still got so many questions to ask everyone to be honest so mm-hmm. and um I don't know where to go next because I'm conscious of time, mm-hmm. but I still want to keep going. <laughs> but I don't why don't we um, do why CERN is like nowhere else on earth? Yes, let's go on then. Starting from the top. Um, here, I'll start with you. Why is CERN no, like nowhere else on earth for you? Just the whole wearing the dosimeter going to the LHC doing all those safety programs you don't get those kind of experiences anywhere just anywhere. and no. it's it's like nowhere on earth because being specializing in space instrumentation it's the closest thing that such instrumentation can be to space environment on earth so it's something which is very fascinating for me from that point of view and yeah. just magnanimity of the accelerators and when you actually come here and you understand that there are multiple points and multiple sites and it's so big it's just brilliant Roland how about you well you're finding science that is unknown with the most powerful machine in the world with the finest minds in the world about this one it's this huge organization which uh, takes people from all walks of life from all different parts of, parts of the world that all come together to work towards a common goal all together yeah you don't get that anywhere else mm-hmm. and that's what makes sense special brilliant Anna I think uh, like Roland said it's a very special place because you have you really have people from all over the world really literally you know uh, the member states are um, mainly european but you have people from all over the place but not only that you also have people from all sorts of you know technical administrative educational backgrounds you know from from phds or like a nobel prize winner 
to someone who's just graduated from their technical diploma, uh, from a physicist to an electrical engineer to a mechanical engineer, and you have to work with all of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's just fantastic, really. Um, I think also the projects that we work in, you know, the, for, for me, the ability to see all the different phases of my project yeah. is, uh, is fantastic too. Brilliant. Priscilla, can you answer that question? Yes, I can. <laughs> um, for me, CERN is a unique place because it's one, one place where nations come together to advance science and to advance society and without any kind of profit in their mind. And it is uh, science, and as I mentioned in the beginning, it is science for peace. So I'm pretty much... I knew I wanted to work for CERN when I was starting when I started to read about the mission and the values and it's I truly echo them and it makes sense for me. So I'm extremely proud and oh my god, after watching you know Ronald, Hero, Anna and Ray talking, I know that I'm in the right place mm-hmm. and that I work with people that teach me something new. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. Bray, can you top that off in any way? I mean, I, I think people have, you know, said some some great stuff. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I, I was just thinking again there is at the personal level. You know, you come in, I came in. You know, okay, I got a PhD, but I've not really got a lot of work experience. And I think if you're ready for the roller coaster, you could say, then then it's great. You know, you have to learn. You have to be. I mean. It's what my kids are being told all the time now as a lifelong learner, you know. Um, and this is really true at CERN. Nearly all of the stuff you do, you know, you get the basic bits from, from university. But all these technologies, all these things that we do, you, you don't know them and you're not expected to know them, but you, you, you'll learn them. You know, you, you learn on the job, you get training, you know, you're in with all these people as, 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 you know, here I was saying, you just go around to people. It's one of the things I love about CERN as well, that you can find people who know about what, uh, all sorts of things, you know, and you can just go and go and bug them, buy them a coffee, you know, and say, look, you know, can you tell me about this? You know, uh, I don't understand this. What, what, what's all this about? You know, why is this important? You know, um, and, and people are very open like that as well. And everyone's on this, uh, again, this kind of learning, learning trip, you could say, uh, I, I think, you know, and I think, you know, coming back to something that was said earlier, you know, these programs that we have technical student, you know, fellow or whatever, they're great, you know, they're part of the learning process. And, and I think they're valuable in their own thing. But clearly, for me, as a certain kind of person who recruits people, it also gives us really the opportunity to, to understand people, you know, and clearly, one of the skills you need from people is, is that they have to be good enough at their job. But then these other things that, you know, you've kind of seen from here about, about being ready and being open and being ready to learn and, 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 and sort of being ready for, for failure, because things go wrong all the time, you know, and having, being sort of, um, you know, resilient enough to cope with these things that go wrong all the time. You know, these are all skills that actually are kind of part of the part of the sort of recruitment process, you could say, at CERN. And, and by having you know been through these things that here, Al and Anna, you know, who I know, thing, you 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 really get the feeling, you know, for 
for how people respond to, to, to this sort of, you know, career, you could say, and it's different from some careers. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. It's an experiment overall, isn't it? You know, you might not get the outcome you want, but you've got to keep trying, yeah? Oh, great. You always learn something. You always learn something. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, guys, it was very, very interesting. I feel like, again, I could just keep going. <laughs> I don't want it to end. But unfortunately, it's already three o'clock. So apologies uh, for our audience for overrunning. But I am going to quickly hand back to Sophie to kind of wrap everything up. But thank you so much. Thank you, Jess. And thank you so much, um, everyone, for everything that you've said today. It's been amazing. I think, you know, hearing the stories from Hiral and Anna and Roland about their experiences of getting to CERN and, and the application process and the resilience that Ray was just touching upon is such a good message to get across to our students that, you know, if at first you, you don't get that role, but, you know, you show, show your passion, reapply. Um, it's, it's great to kind of get those messages across to our audience. And, you know, someone watching this, I can't think, see why anybody wouldn't want to <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't your right now. Um, so I'm going to quickly swing back to Priscilla really quickly, because as Jess said, we are, you know, running over our hour. But um, I just want to kind of swing back to Priscilla, find out about the application process, because right now, as I mentioned earlier, you're open to applications for all of the roles that we've been discussed, discussed today that you can find on the CERN Gradcracker Hub. Um, but if you had to say kind of one top tip or um, some advice that you could give to students when they're applying to CERN, what, what would you say, Priscilla? Sure. And just before I say it, I just want to say that if you are a student that I hope you learned by now that you don't have to be studying physics necessarily to apply. So if you are studying mathematics, uh, accounting or uh, law or you are um, a student, you're a student and you want to get experience as a system administrator or an individual professional firefighter translator. Uh, the process that then the tip that I'll give uh, for the students is please, first of all, read the whole job description and take notes of the mandatory uh, documents that you have to apply. It changes according to the, to the program. Um, some, of the, some of the rules might ask, some of the, the programs that you apply might ask you to upload just the documents and that's the process. Some others might ask you to do an online interview that is in a platform that, we call, that is called Songroom. Some others might ask you to do a cognitive test. So make sure that it is in our website, it is in the job description, the specifications and the requirements. So really the, the most, the number one uh, advice is read the job description. <laughs> so we don't, you know, the, so the vacancy doesn't, it, we, doesn't come to a closing date. Suddenly you forgot your academic transcript, for example, and you have your references, you, you spend hours doing the application and you just missed that small detail of description that makes your, uh, your application incomplete. So it would be a shame to lose it. Yeah, we've just recently written a blog about how to get the most. Sorry, Soph. Yeah, how to get the most out of the job description and how important it is because it is the most important bit of information at this point that you're going to get from the employer. So yeah, yeah, please read think, that and please listen to Priscilla. Yeah, I think especially in CERN's case, you know, because there are slightly different um, requirements that you do need to supply to be able to apply to CERN that you might. Um, not have to do with other applications. So that is really important that you understand the supporting documentation that you need. Um, here I'll touch upon it earlier. 
um, as well about making sure you get that ready and be organized before you get to the closing dates. Mm. Um, so that is really, really important. Um, and I think we've heard so many um, tips and so many anecdotes that, that our audience can use in this uh, application process now to really support their applications. Yeah. So thank you so much to all of our panellists um, from CERN today. It's been so fascinating. Um, I've loved every second and I could stay here all day. Um, so make sure you get your applications in. But before you do, um, as Jess was just mentioning about one of the blogs we've already written is about job descriptions. But you also might want to head over to the Career Centre um, again, where my colleague Hannah has recently written a blog about how to get the most out of the Gradcracker webinars um, and reference them in your application. So that's live right now in the career coach section of the Gradcracker Career Centre. So make sure you read the job description one and the webinars blog, and that will really help you put in um, an even better application using the information that you've, you've heard today. Um, Next week, Carla is back and we are going to be talking to Herbert Smith Freehills, who are a world leading law firm um, to hear all about their opportunities for STEM students. So I will look forward to seeing you all then. And thank you again to everybody from CERN. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.